and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church, and Jim Schaefer, one of our elders here at Providence. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God, and we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing why a giving push. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. We get to be blessed by another guest on this podcast. Give a warm welcome to Jim. Jim, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's fun to be here. Have you, you have a little like applause track or something that you can put under that? I know. You said that have two I asked times that before? ago. I, you got to get yes, it. Yes, yeah. I know. I, I really do need it. to get one. Microphone. Here you go. <laughs> Jim, have you been on a podcast before? Uh, no, this is the first one. I think I've just chit-chatted and doing stuff for fun, but not a world-renowned first-class podcast <laughs> Well, like you came in, you're moving the mic around. I'm like, he is a natural. He's got it. <laughs> so give us a little bit about you, your background, and what you do for listeners who don't know you super well. Mm, okay. Big thing is, my wife Liz and I raised six kids, so uh, that was probably the biggest imprint of my life. They're out of the house now. Two married, mm. four single, and six grandkids so far. So oh my goodness. That's the sweet part of life right now. I was born and raised in Lincoln. I uh, met the Lord when I was six. It was my mother that really uh, spoke into me when I was a little kid. I met Liz in 86 when we were at the university together, moved to Omaha in 86, and uh, raised our kids here. We've been here at Providence since COVID. I remember... Uh, the day we filled out our registration card, uh, the next Sunday, we shut down all the in-person meetings. <laughs> so that was kind of a drag. But. Wow. but you were pretty influential for us during that time or just extremely helpful because you actually opened up your studio essentially so that we could record. Yeah, that was uh, the 402 Arts Collective in Benson. We, there's a coffee shop there called Hardy Coffee. And so... We have the building there, so we were able to make arrangements so you could use the coffee shop venue as a place to record. So mm -hmm. that worked out great. Yeah, which is so cool. Jim, we always like to ask a fun question. Tell us something that maybe you find fascinating that other people might not or like a fun hobby or something. Well, I've got a nerdy streak. So I have math and physics degrees. And part of my first season of life, I was into the computer side of things. So out of this nerdy streak, I, I've always wanted to be an astronaut, so I've wow. always loved rockets. And so uh, following Elon Musk and SpaceX and all that, that's that's kind of a secret pleasure I've gotten. Nice. So and I, before I go to bed, I check the, check the YouTube posts and see if anybody's posted more uh, rocket stuff. Andrew, yeah. did you that's know awesome. this? No, I'm I didn't shocked. Know. I didn't know. <laughs> Jim, that's so cool. Oh, you got to see my Lego models. I have a Saturn V rocket and a no lunar way. module and a, a space shuttle. Oh, my That's an international space station. So Maybe there's someone listening to this that's really interested in that, and they can ask you about it on Sunday. Yep. That's awesome. That's cool. Fun. Well, fun. Well, we're not talking about Elon Musk or anything like that, but that does sound like a very interesting topic, I think. Today, we're actually discussing why a giving push. At the end of every year, most churches, including our own, has a giving push where we are trying to raise funds. And sometimes that can be a little bit confusing for people as to, well, why does the church do that? And what's the heart behind it? We've asked you, Jim, to join us so that you can talk about it because you're working on this project with the other elders as well. And you've just spoken to the heart that we should have behind giving. Yeah. Well, to the question of 
why is there gift giving at the end of the year? Where did that come from? In the Christian tradition, that came from the birth of Christ. Mm-hmm. And if you remember that story, uh, the uh, nickname, the three wise men, they were called magi, but uh, they came from the Orient and brought uh, gifts to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, they're fascinating uh, historical reasons for those. Gold was what you give a king. Frankincense is uh, kind of the spiritual side of things, the incense like a priest would have. And myrrh was used for embalming. So that was a hmm. uh, foreshadowing of the death of Christ. Pretty fascinating uh, roots of that. But traditionally, that's where gift giving came from, at least in the tradition of uh, the Christian faith. Yeah. So, but it's also in our culture, you know, this is a time where people just really have fun with giving gifts and uh, the Christmas season. I think everybody has a, a warm glow in their hearts about uh, gift giving and that sort of thing. Andrew, you've been part of a couple of churches now, or maybe just two, City Light. Two, <laughs> mostly. But when they do an end-of-the-year giving push, what is it primarily trying to push? Like, what are they raising money for? Yeah, it definitely varies. Like, over, you know, when I was at City Light, as well as here, each year has kind of been a little bit different. And I think part of that is because, you know, I think for even individuals or families, the end of year before you're starting a new year can cause some, like, reflection, looking back at this year. You know, for Christians, obviously, what, what has God been doing in our lives? What's happening? What are the good things, the bad things? What are the needs you know, of the current moment? As well as we're turning the calendar into the new year. So you think a little bit of vision and what, what could the new year bring? What's the exciting things? What are some of the challenges? And so I think it's just a natural time to th- reflect and to think forward. And so for us as a church, we've consistently used this time in that way of, are there any needs, things that God has been doing over the year that we could kind of capitalize and communicate that, hey, this is what it feels like God has done. And we want to put some energy behind that, whether that's calling people into thinking in a certain way, giving money, giving time, um, reorienting something in our life due to that. And we like to think through vision of where might God be taking us next. So we've done things like giving for church planting. Um, We've supported some churches overseas as well as some church plants and and different churches here in the States. We, uh, a couple years ago, had a vision for a residency program where our church could help raise people up to be sent out to different churches so that we can be for the kingdom and healthy churches and the mission of God in different places. And so we raised some money because we felt like that's what God was uh, having us focus on. And so it's always been a variety of different kind of missional or vision-based things that we can just kind of focus on for a little bit as a church Mm -hmm. and give either some resources to, or even just like when we did the residency one, for instance, that was a huge push just to cast vision for, we want to be a church that sends people that's about not just our own little church, but how do we help raise up pastors for other churches that can be benefited by healthy, equipped leaders? How can we plant churches or how can we send people overseas? So there was a giving component to that. And there was the heart of, we want to be about the kingdom of God and sending our people to other places. So usually we try to marry not only the resource giving, but also the heart behind that. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's kind of interesting too, because we also 
are making an ask to go above and beyond a normal tithe or what people would give monthly. And we are also trying to meet our end of the year budget, right? Because for the residency program, it wasn't just the residency program. It was, hey, let's first meet our budget and then the residency program, right? Correct. Yeah, which we did that a few years ago. We reversed those. So it is both, but we said, I forget how much, but we want to give X amount of thousands of dollars to church plants. So the first 25,000 that comes in, we're sending that out. And then we're going to try to meet our budget because we just felt like in that season, our budget was actually doing okay. We still needed the push at the end, but we really wanted to prioritize that. You know, last year, two years ago, we focused, yeah, and we got to meet our budget. And then anything that comes in after that, we can put towards the residency. So yeah, it is an interesting balance of both where we do need to just operate as a church family. And that takes some giving. And then there's like some extra projects or a vision or something that we give to above and beyond that. Yeah. For people who haven't really grown up in the church or are just wondering this question, how would you guys answer the question of why can't we just give toward these new vision and ideas? Why do we have to meet our budget as well? (laughs) Well, obviously, if you don't meet your budget, you can't pay your bills (laughs) and Andrew gets no paycheck. But, um, stewardship has a lot to do with it too. And you'd be surprised. I'm not a financial expert, but um, the Bible has a ton to say about finances. I have to attribute this to Tim Keller. Uh, he's a, he's a New York pastor that passed away recently, but he has some great podcasts on just the spiritual side of, of giving and generosity. And he made the observation that money has the unique power to bring out the greedy side of you, but also the benevolent side of you too. And in my mind, that made me think of, um, you know, I'm back to my being a physics nerd. Nuclear energy is a fascinating thing. It's value neutral. It's not good or evil. It just is very powerful. Likewise, money is value neutral, but you can use it to destroy yourself. You can use it to destroy people just like nuclear power can be used to destroy things, but also just as nuclear power can be used to bring energy and life to good things. Uh, How you use your money can be kingdom honoring. It can build things It can be seeds for growth. It can repair things It can uh, build things up. So I bring that back to the budget side of things. You, You tend to think of, well, I don't want to donate just, for ordinary stuff to keep the lights on. I want to do that cool new thing. Well, that's great too, but you got to keep the lights running. And uh, it's kind of hard to have a church that doesn't operate in, in our culture today without money. If I were encouraging people, I would think of, uh, you know, tithing and that's, that's a whole nother subject. But basically if you never heard of that in the old Testament, 10% was, kind of what you're expected to give just to um, serve the the priests and the the Levites and, and keep the temple operating, uh, just like operating expenses. And then there's another concept of tithes and offerings. Offerings were above and beyond that 10%. And uh, those, lots of different kinds of offerings back then, but those were just if your heart compels you out of joy to do something special, 
that's where an offering fits in. So that's kind of been a traditional rule of thumb. Um, you know, scholars can debate different things on what a tithe really means, but that comes to mind when you talk about budgets, because there is a practical side of running a church and yeah. making sure the lights are on. Right, which the lights being on is helpful, but as you both have said, there is a spiritual component and a spiritual side. What are some verses that come to mind where you think about just how giving impacts the believer in a positive way? Jim was mentioning some themes in the Old Testament. So they did have the Levites who were priests and they were taking care of the temple and people were called to set that apart for their good, but also for the good of the Levites and the worshiping of God, but also for themselves to not uh, to not only take care of themselves or their family, but to have that as a part of, we're taking care of those who are spiritually helping take care of us and our worship of God. And there's a perspective that you have, I think, in that. But also there was, you know, for in an agricultural society, there was laws around not harvesting all of your field, leaving some of that left so that people who are in need could come by and they could actually like eat from what you're harvesting, which I think is, again, practically to benefit those in need, but also for you. I think that's good to view your stuff, not just as yours, but it was a helpful perspective for the people of God to say, that this is for the good of those around me, and I'm not just growing things so that I can monetize it or it be for my good, but I'm doing this for the good of those around and for th- those who are in need, which I think God does for us in some ways. I mean, it's for their practical good, but it's also for us to have our eyes, not just on ourselves and our needs, um, but for others. I think in the New Testament, we do get passages where Paul's encouraging churches, hey, would you donate and give for your own like spiritual good, but also for the spiritual good of the kingdom of God. So when there's Christians that are going through a drought or a famine, he collects money so that we can help meet the needs of our brothers and sisters. Um, he also does that to help you know the mission of God go forward. He's trying to support raise from the Roman church so that he can go to Spain. And so there's spiritual benefit in you sowing seeds into the kingdom. So I think there's a thread throughout of money. I know those aren't specific like verses or passages, but where God is trying to help us see that we are stewards of this, it's not just mine and for me, but it's for the worship of God, for the good of those in need, and for the spiritual kingdom of God to actually continue to move forward. And uh, speaking of scripture, the Bible has lots to say about money, but when it comes to the heart of the matter, it, it really is a um, spiritual thing. You know, Christ even said, you know, it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than it is a camel to get through an eye of a needle. So he had a lot to say about that, but money does reveal the condition of your heart in a lot of ways. Many different situations when I'm wrestling with, can I give up this thing, whether it's time or relational equity, or money. Uh, Here's the thing that comes back to my mind. Why am I doing this? Who is this for, ultimately? If you remember, Jesus had talked about... Well, let me jump to the verse. Uh, This is in Matthew 25. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So when, when you think about giving... And it involves the least of least privileged people. You're not just doing it to help that person, although that's a wonderful thing. But you really are giving to Jesus 
in in that way. So everything you do when it comes to generosity ultimately is honoring the king, Christ, and, and is building the kingdom. So if you ever just get burned out and tired of people asking for money and th- that just gets old and cold, just refresh your memory on on where generosity really comes from. It comes from Christ's example of leaving all that he had in the kingdom of God, giving that up, coming to earth, living in poverty, and then giving his life uh, all so that we may receive his riches. That's what grace is, you know, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's why I like that verse, because it's just a reminder that the things we do for other people with our time, talent, treasure, emotions, those gifts really are for our Heavenly Father and end up glorifying Him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah. helpful for me. And maybe to sum all of that up, you know, Jesus says in His famous Sermon on the Mount, He talks about you know laying up your treasures in heaven and not focusing on treasures here that are going to be destroyed, He says. And He says... No one can serve two masters, so you'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, so you cannot serve God and money. And he uses that. And the very next thing that he goes into after that is calling us not to be anxious about the things of this world, which I do think are are tied together. You think about, you know, when, when you don't give and you're not freed to see yourself as a steward of your resources and instead you see yourself as like, you're the owner of it and you need it all and you need to focus on where all that's going. The anxiety that that brings of you made the money, it's your money, it's your resources, and you have to make sure you're doing it all right or well, that puts a lot of pressure on you. And it's no surprise that if you do that, that anxiety follows that. Whereas what Jesus is saying, if you actually see yourself as a steward, that this money has just come from God, it's his, he's given it to me to steward or to manage well in this life. That's an incredibly freeing thing then to say, he promises that he'll provide, which is the point of the next passage where he says, God takes care of the sparrows, takes care of the grass, takes care of the flowers. Will he not take care of you? Like he is going to provide what you need. Therefore, you can serve God with your money rather than using your money as your God or your ultimate treasure, which will bring anxiety and stress. So even the call to give is for other people's good. It's to worship God, there's spiritual benefit to it. But I think even just practically, when, when you have that mindset, if I can be generous because God has given me all things, it does begin to lessen, I think, some of the anxiety and control we feel like we need to have, which is an incredibly freeing way to live. Yeah, yeah. Albeit hard. <laughs> right. Oh, super hard. It feels easier to be anxious at times. I don't know yeah. why. It makes you feel like you have some semblance of control. Another verse that I've always loved, and this comes out of Malachi, God says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Then he says, test me in this. In other words, he's saying, I dare you on this next point. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And that's the only time I can remember in Scripture where God says, hey, I dare you. I dare you to do this, and um, he'll open the storehouses. So that's that's a pretty powerful challenge. So I do think our heart, with all that being said, our heart as pastors really is to try to help us feel the freedom and joy of generosity. And that comes in seasons. You know, there's the normal just giving and discipleship conversations around that throughout the year, but then there's also 
specific times of the year where you focus on that, similar to most things, right? So we always focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus. But in Lent and into the Easter season, we give extra priority there to think about the impact of that. Uh, At the end of the year, we give some extra priority to thinking about the freedom and joy that comes within generosity and what God is calling us to. And that's really our aim. We believe that if God's calling our church to something, he's going to provide. And the call is less our church is frantically anxious over, can we afford to do some of these things? But rather, I think God's calling us to this. If he is, he's going to provide, and we want to invite you into that to experience both the ownership of that, of, man, we're all a part of this together as a family, uh, as well as uh, the freedom that can come from our generosity mm-hmm. towards anything, but especially towards the kingdom of God and the people of God. This is more of a practical question, but for an individual, a couple of family that's trying to figure out, okay, I do, we do want to give on top of our regular tithe. How do they figure out an amount? Oh, that's a good question. You know, it has to do with a lot of factors, obviously. But the first place is, I would say, just start in your own prayer life saying, okay, God, I I know we need to sort this out. What would you have me do about this? And I really believe that closer you press in to the Lord in your inner quiet of your heart, the more sensitive you are to picking up where that should be. Now, Mm. I'm not saying that God will pronounce a number. The more you line up your heart, the better your priorities will be established on the right principles. And you can take an inventory of what is it that I'm spending on my money on today you know, the classic is how many, how much money could you give away if you stopped going to Starbucks every day? That adds up. So I would challenge people to think about what is it that they could give up that could turn into something that would be meaningful to give. Uh, that's just one way to look at it because mm. not everybody has just piles of money sloshing around. And that's what makes giving really, um, kind of a spiritual thing from your heart is that it costs you something. It it costs you convenience. It costs you time and effort and, and um, relational equity to stop doing something to save up money to give. So in a way, from God's perspective, I've got to think if it's not pushing you in your personal life in any way to give this money, it's hard to call it a real heartfelt giving. So another Tim Keller thing is when Christ gave his blood, he didn't tip his blood. He gave the whole thing for us to think about. Are we just giving God a little tip uh, that we won't miss? That's one thing, but to really put it on ourselves where we're inconveniencing ourselves and maybe causing some hardship for ourselves over time. I think those are the things that God really is pleased with that demonstrates where our hearts really are at. That kind of reminds me of for this giving campaign, my husband and I have been praying through what the Lord would call us to do. And at first he was like, okay, we're giving this amount. And I was like, will we miss that? Like, will we even notice that amount is gone? And then we started praying about it more and he goes, yeah, I think we should do this amount. I'm like, "Mm, no, (laughs) too high. You know, I'm like, no. And he's like, well, no, I really think that what you said makes sense of like, that's a sacrifice for us. Whereas the first number was just kind of like a, 
that would be fun. Like that's so comfortable. We really wouldn't even miss it. The other one's like uncomfortable. But then I fall into the trap of, well, okay, why don't you double it then? If we're going on, like how uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. do we get? Yeah. And I think that's a hard part for me to know. Like how, how much, you know, cause you had said maybe we live uncomfortably for a little bit, but then it's also like, okay, wait, what's wisdom? I just, I don't know. Right. I do think for Bailey and I, we have tried to think through above like the normal monthly giving that we do is the, like for things like this, or when we feel like there's a person in need, or if we can meet a need, we try do try to think through the two categories we're given in scripture of like a, a joyful, cheerful giver, but also a sacrificial giver. And so the sacrifice piece is, I think important because it is easy for us to, you know, look at our budget. Or this is me specifically, honestly, most of the time. I look at our budget. I'm like, well, we could give this amount. And like you said, we wouldn't really miss it. Like we kind of have that extra. So let's do that. And we've just, yeah, been able to come back to the, like, is that a sacrifice? And I, I do think, Jim, what you said is important that we do have to trust the spirit will give prompting to that or guidance in that especially if for a married couple or for a family that there'd be some sense of unity there and i think that can help if one is maybe more prone to yeah just doing kind of we have this extra maybe if the other one's more like what you said raven of like well fine if we're going to sacrifice let's give everything you know and to try to like work (laughs) that out together and find some unity in that i i think is big for us at least what we've done is we've prayed and we'll we'll kind of come with a number and both of us will say like, Hey, what about this? And a lot of times, honestly, they are the same. Uh, sometimes they're not. And we have to kind of work through then. Okay. Why'd you feel that? Or maybe we compromise or whatever through talking about it. But those two categories, I think as we're praying has been helpful of us of one praying, God, would you help us find great joy in this, that it would, we'd have the right perspective of giving. And would you give us the wisdom on what is the amount that, you know, doesn't put us in danger of not being able to provide for our kids, which is a priority right now for us. But also at the same time that pushes us to where we would say, actually, we can't do this for the next couple of months because we're going to give this. And we do feel that. You know, fun little intellectual exercise. Think about if they charged admission to worship, how much would you be willing to pay to be able to worship? Which is a a bizarre thing because here in, in the U.S., it doesn't cost us anything, but you go to other repressive countries, they sacrifice a lot and sometimes jail time, sometimes their lives. Uh, I had the privilege of being in Saudi Arabia, uh, worshiping with some underground churches there. And that really put a new light on, on the cost of, of worship for some people. So that got me thinking of, would I give a hundred dollars to be able to attend worship? Would I say, no, unless it's free, I'm not going to go. But that made me realize, you know, my flesh really has a hard time giving money uh, unless it has a fleshy value. You know, what's the rate of return on this investment? You know, what's a final encouragement you both would have to people who are, wrestling through this, thinking through this, we kind of gave them some insight of what to think about, but yeah, what's just an encouragement. Well, I would say keeping in in mind, this is, this is not just for whoever you're giving the money to, although that's really true. This is for your heavenly father. Mm. He is the one that gets joy out of this. And in, in fact, you know, you think about it, 
God doesn't need your money. He's, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the, as the proverb says. Uh, everything is his. And if you don't give whatever it is you're going to give, he's not going to fall off his throne and think, oh, rats, I was really depending on that. Uh, now I don't know what I'm going to do. That's not it. In fact, in, in a way, you could say, well, giving is just kind of silly because why? Well, that's the mystery of how God has arranged this. He desires to have us be intimately involved with whatever movement of God is, is, is happening. So, I mean, it really is a privilege to be able to be used by God for this effort rather than God just making or waving a magic wand and having all these funds appear. So that's pretty cool to know your heart is honoring God and whatever amount you choose, you know, whether you're a billionaire or you're poor, whatever your heart is, if you're a cheerful giver, that's what God is, is pleased, pleased with. Yeah. I think off of that, I would say to the question maybe of, well, yeah, if God's going to provide, if he has all the money, why do like, why does it really matter if I give my $10 or my $10,000 or whatever, like God's going to do it. But I think obviously you could say that about anything in our life. Like if God's going to save people, why do I need to evangelize? If God's going to heal people, why do I need to pray for them? If God's going to counsel and comfort people, why do I need to have the conversation with them? And I think if that is somebody's mindset, I think you're missing not on how much God needs you, but how beautiful and enjoyable and life-giving it is to partner with God and be his presence in the world. Again, we talk about this a lot at Providence, like the spirit dwells in the church and the way that God moves is often through other people and through Christians enacting, you know, all sorts of practices of evangelism and giving and prayer and worship and all those things. And so I think, yeah, instead of seeing like, well, does God really need me? I, I, I don't need to give. It is like, I get to partner with the work that God's doing, which is just life in union with Jesus as we're partnering with him and his work in the world. So I think that's a helpful, it's been a good paradigm for me to shift a little bit from, you know, I don't make a million dollars. Like, does my little bit of money actually matter? And it's not that as much as it's, man, God uses even my little bit that I have to be a part of this cool work that he's doing, however much that is. And maybe the last thing I would say on that too is if you do struggle with you could say money as an idol, but even like maybe the idol of control or security or comfort, whatever money is kind of being used to feed in your life. I do think it's huge. And what's been helpful for me is communicating that, confessing that and talking about that to people because for the longest time, and I still am like slowly getting out of this, I do have a lot of control issues, especially around money of, I want to make sure that I and my family secure. I want to make sure we're never that desperate or dependent or anything. And God has slowly been releasing some of that. And I will say the anxiety, the pressure, the weight of that coming off is an unbelievable reality and kindness mm -hmm. from God. And so if you're in that spot where you're like, I have a hard time giving to anything or anyone because of those issues in my heart, I would really encourage confess those things because life being free of that and living in generosity is a thousand times better. And it's what God calls us into. That's good. So if you have any questions or you want to confess 
areas of where your heart tries to grab onto control with money or with your time or with other things, please email us at formation at providenceomaha.org or grab us on a Sunday and we would love to chat with you. If you want to be involved in the mission here at Providence, head to the link in this description bio on this podcast episode and that will link you to a page that gives the vision behind why we give at Providence and what we're giving toward this year. Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God, and we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.